Welcome to Dark Corners with David Allen Boyles. Dark Corners is brought to you by Gestalt Media, an independent publishing company dedicated to serving independent authors. Tag by David Allen Boyles. Let's play tag. Davy's it. Jordy, the self-appointed leader of the gang, stands and grins at Davy while everyone else takes off running, and then Jordy turns and runs as well. Why does he always pick me? Davy shrugs it off and begins counting to give the guys a fair chance. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five! Davy starts after Tommy, the heaviest kid in the group, but then realizes that although he could easily tag him, Tommy will never be able to catch anyone else and will remain it forever and everyone will quickly lose interest in the game. He trots instead toward Steve, who is heading toward the swings on the far side of the park, but he is already too far out of reach. Rand and Jay have climbed up to the enclosed platform atop the rocket ship from which a metal sliding board projects and thus have made it to one of the safe zones. Yeah, yeah, you can't catch me, Jay calls out. Davy slows to a walk and surveys the field. Jordy is watching him from the monkey bars and then looks to the old locomotive that the city park builders had painted and refurbished for kids to play on. Jordy runs for it, and Davy takes off too, calculating the distance even as he runs, thinking that he might have a chance to catch Jordy somewhere on the engine. Jordy reaches the train first and pulls himself up on the handrails as he takes the black metal steps two at a time that lead to the cab. Davy reaches the steps as Jordy runs through the framed passage to the front of the engine. Copying Jordy's moves, Davy follows his path through the cab and stomps along the mesh catwalk that runs alongside the boiler and sees that Jordy is climbing up toward the bell mounted behind the smokestack. My God, it's just like Jordy to ring that bell, showing off how he made it there first. Jordy climbs up onto the hot black cylinder using various odd parts which protrude from the engine as footholds that millions of kids before him have used to reach the bell. He grips the cable that runs back to the cab and sneers back down at Davy. Seeing that one of Jordy's white high-top Converse sneakers is within reach, Davy grabs it and yanks hard. Tag, you're it, he yells. Jordy wrenches his foot free, and since the shoe is untied, Jody's shoes are always untied, it comes off in Davy's hand even as he hears the bell ring. Being precariously positioned on the engine in his stretch to reach the bell, Jordy loses his balance and falls, his arms flailing. He rolls off the engine, and his head smashes against the hard metal railing along the catwalk, making a loud ringing tone. Jordy lies face down on the catwalk, perfectly still, and something drips onto the gravel below them. Davy hears someone cry out, Oh my gosh, that guy's bleeding like a stuck pig! Another kid says, Holy crap, his eye popped out! <sighs> Gasping for breath, Dave lurched upright in his bed. He gripped the sheets in both fists as he stared wide-eyed around the darkened bedroom. He forced himself to breathe through his nose in order to calm himself and slow his racing heartbeat. The dream had come again.
The next morning, Dave found that he had difficulty focusing on even the smallest tasks. How'd the meeting go? Bilal asked as he passed by him at the reception station. Did Branson thrill everyone with another play-by-play -play of his awesome prowess on the links? Dave realized that he couldn't recall a single topic that had been discussed in the two-hour team meeting. You know it, he said with a weak smile. Want to grab some lunch? Bilal asked. Some of us are heading over to the Chestnut Cafe. Nah, think I could use a bit of a walk, but thanks. He could feel Bilal's eyes on him as he walked on down the hall and hoped that he hadn't come off seeming like an ass, but he just didn't feel like chit-chatting. Without even stopping at his office to drop off his planner, he made his way out of the building, his eyes cast down to avoid making contact with anyone, and set out on foot toward the river. The Good Eats food truck sat at its familiar location at the entrance to the Greenway. Manuel, the owner and operator, easily spotted Dave as he approached. Hello, my friend, his teeth shone through his broad smile. The usual? Of course, can't resist it, Dave said, grinning back. Within five minutes, he was holding a pulled pork and pimento cheese sandwich and a large cup of sweet tea to wash it down with as he looked for a good place to eat. No wonder I have nightmares, he thought to himself, looking at the gooey sandwich but savoring its sweet smell just the same. An unoccupied picnic table with an unobstructed view of the French Broad River was just a few steps away. A couple in their twenties wearing tight, brightly colored life vests with matching helmets rode by in kayaks. Several kids in designer jeans and expensive sneakers were squealing and chasing each other on a large grassy area. A park for the privileged, Dave thought, but still a great place to unwind. In less than a minute, the sandwich was gone. Guess I was hungrier than I thought. Throwing his trash in a nearby waste can, he chose the sidewalk that took him further away from his office, sucking noisily on the straw to get the last bit of his drink as he strolled leisurely along the river. This was the best he had felt in days. Getting out and enjoying the fine summer mountain weather had been the right call. The children he had noticed before were now grouped together on a boarded platform that looked out over the river. Dave smiled as he tried to guess who they had been pretending to be as they performed on their makeshift stage. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, maybe? Nah, obviously too old and boring for today's kids. More like Harry Potter or Spider-Man. The kids suddenly broke out in squeals and laughter as all but one stampeded off the platform and scattered in different directions. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five! A chill ran up Dave's spine as he recognized the signs of an impromptu game of tag. The girl in a t-shirt with a rainbow-maned unicorn was it, and she was scoping out who to chase first. She charged after a boy wearing a red Chicago Bulls hat and as she was clearly the better runner, she would definitely catch him. A movement among the trees in the other direction caught Dave's attention. In the shadows was a boy he hadn't noticed earlier, wearing a plain white t-shirt, stiff jeans with a large iron-on patch on one knee, and white high-top Converse sneakers with laces untied. Jordy. Oh my God, that's Jordy. The boy walked out from the copse of trees and stood on the paved pathway dappled with sunlight that fell through the thickly-leaved boughs. 
he grinned, and as the sun and shadows danced across the youthful face, for just a moment, the flesh melted away, revealing a smiling skull with a single eye visible in one of the dark sockets. Just as quickly, the image returned to the same grinning Geordie that Dave remembered so well. The boy slowly nodded once, turned, and ran around a bend out of sight. Dave stared at the coin on his desk. During the last two weeks, he frequently found himself awakening in the middle of the night with a sweat-soaked t-shirt and a pounding heart. He delayed going to bed each night, and yet no matter how long he stalled, eventually he slept, and the dream returned. Some days he considered going back to the park, but he wasn't sure what, if anything, that might prove. The constant tension and lack of a good night's sleep made even the most mundane tasks of the day a challenge. And now, this. Hey Dave, you okay? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Just uh, daydreaming, I guess. He gave Bilal a weak grin, hoping his friend would simply nod and move on down the hall. But instead, Bilal stood leaning into the doorway with a slight frown. Taking in a deep breath, Bilal entered the office and sat down in one of the client chairs in front of Dave's desk. You hadn't exactly been yourself lately, he said. Anything going on you want to talk about? Since when did you become my shrink? Dave smiled, hoping his tone came across as playful. No, nothing like that, man, Bilal said, putting his hands up in a defensive gesture. It's just that, well, some of us have been noticing that lately you've seemed kind of, I don't know, distracted, I guess you'd say. And you've called out sick a lot more lately. So I was wondering if everything's okay. Just concerned, that's all. It's nothing. Dave said. I've just been, well, kind of tired lately. Having a hard time getting any sleep. Yeah, it sucks getting old, doesn't it? I wake up every night around three in the morning and sometimes it takes me an hour or two to get back to sleep. Remember how as kids we used to sleep till noon on Saturdays and in the summer? Yeah, apparently those days are long gone. Have you tried taking anything for it? Nah, I don't want to take any of that stuff, Dave replied. I hear horror stories of people sleepwalking, or worse, like waking up to find out that they've gotten in their cars and driven ten miles away. I hear you, Bilal paused in awkward silence, clearly not knowing what else to say. Well, I didn't mean to make a big deal out of it or anything, just thought I'd check on you. Thanks, I'm fine, really. Okay, he said standing, I get it, but just in case... Tomorrow I'm going to bring you some Ambien left over from Sherry's bout of insomnia last fall. You don't have to take it, but it might be nice one night when you wish you had something. The tablets are just five milligrams, so it's not likely to have any of those serious side effects you're worried about. As it turned out, Sherry didn't need to take it very long, just enough to break the cycle of waking up that was making her life miserable. Sure. Thanks. For Christ's sake, move on, man. Well, anyway, we're going to be playing poker again Friday night if you want to come over, Bilal added as he exited the office. Thanks. Maybe I'll do that. Dave waved at Bilal through the glass window and then turned his gaze back to his desk. The warped coin with the distorted image of the profile of an American Indian caused a tingling of anxiety to wash over him again. Reluctantly, he picked it up and examined it. 
as kids. They had all placed coins on the railroad tracks behind Old Man Snyder's house for the trains to run over. They had collected them and treated them like charms, pretending that they had special powers of protection or evil. This one was a nickel, and Dave remembered it well. Geordie had won it from him years ago, fair and square. He had dared young Davy to eat a spider that was crawling across Davy's arithmetic book. I'll give you a dollar. I'm not eating a spider. What am I, an idiot? Will he give me if I eat it? Geordie asks, catching it with one swift swipe of his hand. You won't eat it. What will you give me? How about that smashed nickel you made yesterday? You're crazy, Davy says. That's an Indian head nickel, a 1925. It's probably worth a million dollars. A million dollars, Jordy repeats with a snort. You're such a kid. Besides, Rand says you told him you were going to give it to Missy Pruitt. He says you think she's the cutest girl in the whole fifth grade. Rand's an idiot, Davy says, even as his burning cheeks betray him. But, okay, if you eat that spider, you can have it. Jordy quickly clasps the hand holding the spider to his mouth. With wide eyes and cocked head, he silently holds out his open palm, gesturing for Davy to give him the coin. You didn't do it, Davy accuses with a scowl. Jordy opens his mouth so that Davy can see the black and gold spider wiggling its legs on his tongue. He then closes his mouth and makes a big show of chewing and swallowing. Gross, Davy exclaims, making a face. Okay, here you go, he hands over the nickel. And now, here it was again, 28 years later. How the hell did it get there on my desk? The longer Dave stared, the faster his heart beat and the more his head seemed to be spinning. Yeah, love you too. Dave sighed hit the end call button, and stared at his cell phone. Talking to Alicia was always a bittersweet experience. Three years had passed since the divorce, and as separations go, it was a pretty amicable split. No nasty quarrels, no bickering over who owned what. Through hours of discussions, they had analyzed their relationship pretty well and agreed that they were both good people who just weren't right for each other. But the bottom line had been the issue of children. She wanted them, and Dave didn't. The smooth separation didn't mean that Dave didn't miss her, and that it didn't hurt. It hurt. A lot. She had been his best friend before their marriage, and they remained that way while they were married. Fortunately, she was willing to continue that aspect of their relationship even after the marriage broke up. So naturally, she was the person Dave turned to when he was down. He had wanted to tell her about the dreams he had been having and about the weird experience with the Indian head nickel. Every time they talked, he came really close to telling her, but then just when it seemed that it was the right time to do so, he backed off, fearing that she would start to think he was going crazy. Or maybe even worse, that he was working a scheme in order to get them back together. So once again, he'd ended a call without saying what he really wanted. And now he sat in his condo alone, feeling depressed and a little bit scared. He drank coffee and watched TV so that he could delay going to bed as long as possible. 
Deciding that he needed something stronger than coffee, he fixed himself a rum and coke, hoping that the sugar might serve the same purpose as caffeine in keeping him awake. He turned on the TV without caring what was on. He just wanted noise and company, even if it was a brainless sitcom. One drink led to another, and while the rum did help Dave relax and feel a little better, before he knew it, he was dozing. He might have spent the whole night in the Lazy Boy recliner if he hadn't heard something smack the sliding glass doors that led to the patio. At first, when he awoke, he wasn't sure what had happened. He got out of the recliner to investigate the kitchen for any sign of a disturbance that something might have fallen, like a picture on the wall or an ice cube falling out onto the floor from the ice maker. Finding nothing out of place there, he moved to the sliding doors and flicked on the outside light. He pressed his face up to the glass and cupped his hands around his eyes to shield them from the reflected inside light as he looked for anything out of the ordinary. And then he saw it. A fairly small object lying partially in the shadow of the chase lounge just a short distance from the doors. Frowning, he released the clasp which locked the door and slid it open just enough for him to squeeze out onto the patio for a better look. Once outside, the object was easily identifiable. A white high-top Converse sneaker. The next weekend, Dave stood on the deck of the mountain cabin he had rented, looking out at the incredible view of Mount Leconte. Getting away from cities, parks, and people was exactly what he needed. Something had clearly triggered his deep-rooted feelings of guilt and horror, and hopefully a vacation of isolation and relaxation might help him to get over this problem. The brilliant colors of the setting sun behind the mountains blended perfectly with the mellow Miles Davis tune that sounded surprisingly good considering it was only coming from his phone. He took a sip of his gin and tonic and sighed. This felt right. Sure, you could look at it as though he was just trying to run away from his problems, like a neurotic grown-up game of tag, but sometimes you just needed to get to that safety zone, a temporary timeout for everything to be okay. It was so pleasant out on the porch that Dave brought the bottles of gin and mixer and a small cooler of ice out to the porch so he wouldn't have to ruin the mood by going inside each time he wanted to refresh his drink. Each song that played on the Pandora jazz station was better than the last. Tension drained from his body with each soothing song. He had no idea how much time had passed when he suddenly became aware that he no longer heard any music. He'd apparently fallen asleep in his rocker, his glass just seconds away from slipping out of his hand. Picking up his phone, he saw the message from Pandora that read, Are you still listening? He grinned and said aloud, Only to the chorus of cicadas. The rhythmic chirping of the insects served as the perfect lullaby. I could use a choir of those back home. How about a cicada station, Pandora? Wow talking out loud to Pandora. That's sad, he thought as he gazed at the silhouette of the mountain range against the starry sky. I should eat something. His stomach growled on cue as he slid the glass door open and went back into the small kitchen to retrieve the rest of the huge hoagie he had purchased for lunch on his way to his smoky mountain retreat. A full belly would be the perfect ending of a great day and hopefully a good night's sleep. As Dave closed the cabinet where he had pulled out a plate for his sandwich, he heard the unmistakable sound of thumping in the bedroom above him as if someone were running across the hardwood floor. 
Fear washed over him with the realization that someone else was in the cabin. The only access to the upstairs bedroom and loft was from inside the house. The sole entrance to the cabin from the outside opened into the kitchen. If someone were up there, they had to have been in the cabin before he had checked in. Unless they snuck in while I was out on the deck. He quietly stepped over to the main door and tested the knob, but it barely turned, confirming that it had indeed been locked all evening. Suddenly, eerie organ music rang out from the loft. With his heart racing even faster, he realized that he was hearing the soundtrack from a movie. Light coming from the loft flickered across the living room. Someone's turned the television on. The open loft was a recreational area equipped with a pool table, a foosball table, and a wall-mounted TV high up in the far corner away from the living room. Dave crept softly around the bar that separated the kitchen from the living room, paused briefly to listen, and then headed further into the living room so that he could peer back up into the loft. He stopped with his back to the sliding doors, his gaze searching the loft which was illuminated only by the television and the soft, low glow of the living room chandelier. On the screen flashed a kaleidoscopic sequence of black and white images he recognized from the 1962 cult classic Carnival of Souls. Deathly pale couples danced under carnival lights. Zombie-like figures with vacant stares rose slowly from a lake. A woman in a trance played dissonant chords on a church organ with spidery fingers. A menacing ghostly figure reached out with claw-like hands, intent on strangling a lovely young woman. Under other circumstances, the scenes might have been laughable, but Dave found it hard to tear his eyes from the television. On the far side of the pool table, he thought he could just make out a short, shadowy figure, but he couldn't be certain that it wasn't just the result of the play of shifting light in the darkened room. Dave worked his way toward the stairs, pausing as he gripped the cell phone in his pocket. He thought of calling 911, but then let go of his phone thinking how foolish he would feel when police searched the house and found only an old horror movie playing in an upstairs room and a half-empty bottle of gin. Just as suddenly as the TV had come on, it shut off abruptly with a popping sound, as if there had been a surge of power that blew its circuitry. Nothing else in the cabin seemed affected. The lights in the living room still burned dimly, but steadily, and the refrigerator hummed softly. Dave stood still and held his breath, listening for any sound from above. The distinctive crack of billiard balls made Dave jump. He took two quick steps out towards the center of the living room in order to look up into the loft to see what had made that sound, but there was no one visible near the table. He remained rooted to the spot for what seemed an eternity, but which in reality was at most thirty seconds, waiting in vain for a sound or a movement. Finally, Dave decided that he had to climb the stairs and investigate the loft for an explanation. Dismissing the need to be quiet as pointless, Dave ran up the stairs. As he turned at the landing midway up, he heard another sound from the loft, something like the spinning wheels of a toy car or of a cart that had been turned upside down. He paused for just a second, 
and then surged on up the steps, hoping to see the cause of the noise before it stopped altogether. He flipped the light switch at the top of the stairs, which illuminated a rectangular Tiffany-patterned lamp that hung over the pool table. This was enough to also reveal the gently rocking figures of several of the foosball men on their rods that were just now coming to a stop. It was as if someone had walked down the side of the table, brushing the rods as they went to make all the men spin. Somehow, the sight of these moving figures was worse than the TV coming on by itself. That image, along with the sound of running footsteps, canvas soles like those of white high-top Converse sneakers, terrified Dave. He wanted to get out of the house, to just get in his car and leave. He took a deep breath to ward off the rising feeling of panic that restricted his breathing, tightening like a band around his chest. He went back down the stairs and leaned on the kitchen bar, pondering what he should do as he looked about the room. I need to check out the whole cabin. Taking the fire poker from the set of iron tools beside the fireplace, he cautiously opened the door to the main bedroom, flipped on the light, and then crossed to the closet and looked inside. Nothing. He entered the bathroom and stared at the shower curtain, dreading the idea of pulling it back but knowing that he had to do it. Do it fast, like pulling off a band-aid. But when he finally worked up his nerve to check the shower, he very slowly extended the tip of the poker until it caught the edge of the curtain farthest from him, and then just as slowly pulled the curtain back toward himself, the sound of the metal ring sliding on their metal rod echoing in the close, tiled space. Nothing there. Leaving that bedroom, he followed the same procedure in the spare bedroom and its adjoining bathroom with the same results. No sign of anyone's presence but his own in the house. He returned to the kitchen and stared at the uneaten sandwich. The sight of it turned his stomach. Am I cracking up? Is this what having a nervous breakdown feels like? He walked into the living room, sat down on the couch and rubbed his forehead with both hands. Sitting down suddenly seemed worse, so he stood up and began pacing the room, and a sense of panic rising again. What should I do? What the hell am I going to do? The more Dave paced, the more worked up he got, until finally, in exasperation, he went to the bathroom and grabbed the shaving kit that sat by the sink. Zipping open the side compartment, he took out the prescription bottle with the label marked Sherry Majid, screwed the top off, and shook a pink lozenge-shaped pill into his hand. After staring at it for a moment, he shook out another. He popped them both into his mouth, drew water from the tap into his cupped hands, and gulped them down. At least this way I won't be awake for what's going on. If there's something going on. And I need to sleep, damn it. Walking back into the bedroom, he shut the door that opened into the living room, picked up the remote on the bedside table, and turned on the flat-screen TV that sat on a tall dresser. The thought that the eerie images from Carnival of Souls might appear again sent a chill up his spine, but this time the familiar sight of one of CNN's numerous talking heads came up. Perfect. Dave quickly undressed, threw on a t-shirt and thin cotton pajama pants, and turned the bedspread down. Before getting in bed, he turned off the overhead light, but left the door to the bathroom partially open, allowing some light to spill into the room. Let's play tag. Davy's it. Jordy stands there grinning while everyone else takes off running. 
One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five. No, this is a dream. Wake up. Wake up. Davy trots toward Steve, who is heading toward the swings, but he's already too far out of reach. Yeah, yeah, you can't catch me, Jay calls out from atop the rocket ship. Davy slows to a walk and surveys the field. Jordy is watching him now from the monkey bars and then looks to the old locomotive. God, please no. Let me wake up. Please. Jordy reaches the train first and pulls himself up on the handrails as he takes the black metal steps two at a time that lead to the cab. Davy reaches the steps as Jordy runs through the framed passage to the front of the engine. Copying Jordy's moves, Davy follows his path through the cab and stomps along the mesh catwalk that runs alongside the boiler and sees that Jordy is climbing up toward the bell. This is a dream. This is a dream! Jordy climbs up onto the hot black cylinder and then grips the cable that runs back to the cab and sneers back down at Davy. Davy grabs Jordy's white sneaker and yanks hard. Tag, you're it! Jordy wrenches his foot free and the shoe comes off in Davy's hand. The bell clangs angrily. Jordy loses his balance and falls. Don't watch, damn it! Don't watch! Jordy's body is moving in slow motion. His body rolls off the engine and his head smashes against the hard metal railing along the catwalk, making a loud ringing tone. Jordy lies face down on the catwalk, perfectly still, and something drips onto the gravel below them. Davy. A soft whisper, almost lost amid the fading sound of the alarmed voices in his dream. Darkness. Relieved that the dream seemed to have ended, Dave struggled to swim up to the surface of consciousness. Davy. A voice so faint, just his name on a breath, that he could barely hear it. He tried to open his eyes, but he just couldn't do it. His whole body felt so heavy that he could hardly move, but he gradually managed to shift from his back to his side. Even though only a thin sheet covered him, it felt as though it were a twenty-pound blanket. Fearing that if he continued to lie in bed, he would fall back asleep and the dream would repeat, Dave pushed the sheet off his body and rolled to a sitting position on the side of the bed. He held his head in his hands and rubbed his face to force himself to wake up. I am to the TV. I thought I left it on. Davy. He lifted his head and looked around with eyes that felt so swollen he could barely see. That whisper. Is it in the room? Through the space framed by the bedroom doorway leading into the living room, I thought I shut that door. He saw a dark shape dash across the room behind the couch. Fear shot through his body. The fog caused by the sedative instantly vaporized. Dave stood and pounced toward the door. He slammed it shut and leaned his back against it, his arms down beside him with open palms pressed hard on the wood, panting heavily, eyes wide open. the whisper again, no doubt in the room with him, so close now that he could feel the breath on his face. He shut his eyes and whimpered like a little boy. Go away! Go away! Please just go away! His body shook so hard the door was vibrating, but he could do nothing but stand there, paralyzed with terror. He tried to fill his mind by mentally shouting, No! 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 over and over, but eventually he could not help but stop and listen. Nothing. Just the sound of his own jagged breathing and the quiet buzz of the fluorescent light in the bathroom. No whispering, no footsteps, just silence. 
He could stand it no longer. He had to open his eyes and look. Six inches away was a grinning face. Pale, gray skin only partially covered the skull. Blonde hair stuck out in uneven patches from the scalp. From a dark socket peered one eye with a glowing green iris flecked with gold and black specks. The other eye hung on its cheek. The bony jaw dropped. A fetid, warm stench washed over Dave's face, and as he watched, a black and gold spider crawled across the rotting tongue and pulled its way over the cracked, bleeding lips. The long legs pulled its body across the jaw, and then it dropped from sight. A single skeletal finger poked Dave's chest. He dropped to the floor, the pain in his chest unbearable. His heart raced, then lurched erratically and stopped. Tag, you're it, a quiet voice said. And then the room was silent. That concludes this episode of Dark Corners with David Allen Voiles. Music was provided by Mombi Yulman. To find other works by David Allen Voiles and keep up with all his projects, please visit his official author website, davidallenvoiles.com. Hope to meet you again soon in The Dark Corners. <laughs>